You're about to listen to a message by Pastor Oge Ogwe, the lead pastor of Circle Church International. He envisions all men living Christ-centered lives. Be blessed as you listen. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Alright, say hi to three people around you. It's nice to see you in church. How are you? You look very nice. And then sit down if you can. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. My God is still in the business of changing lives. He is. He is. And while I don't have a specific prayer to pray for you, the Lord asked me to say that for someone. He is still in the business of changing lives. Joseph slept one night, a prisoner woke up the next morning, a prime minister. He's still in the business of changing lives. He is. But I think today's service is all about submitting to God. Hallelujah. We started a teaching series on prayer, um, you know, when the month began. And um, we're running through that series. And there's something, you know, when the month began, the Lord called my attention to. We've taught it so, so many times in church. But we will teach it again. Light of the world, you step down into darkness. You've opened my eyes, now I can see. Beauty that made this heart adore you. Hope or a life spent with you. So here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God, Jesus. You are all together worthy and all together lovely. All together wonderful to me. Here I am to worship. Here I am to as loud as you can. Let me hear your voices. Here I am to say that. Say that. You're my, you're all together lovely, you're all together, all together worthy, 
and all together wonder. Hallelujah. Two truths can exist that are not um, diametrically opposed to one another. What that means is that two things can be simultaneously true if they do not directly oppose one another. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Or do I need to explain it further? Two things can be simultaneously true if they do not oppose one another. For instance, it is true that I am a man. It is also true that Pastor Jason is a man. You see, him being a man does not oppose the fact that I am a man. I am not less a man because he is a man. You know what I mean? And the reason I'm saying I'm saying that is because um, in Christianity, there is the behavior or attitude that many of us have where we hold on to something that is true in its own right, but refuse to accept any other truth, even if the other thing doesn't oppose really what we've been holding on to. Does it, am, I, am, I, am I making sense? Good. So, part of um, Christian devotion is opening up our hearts to receive other truths of God's word that may tear down certain preconceived notions that we've had, number one, and number two, set up a more righteous standard to enable our relationship with God. So 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 says, All scripture, from, from a child you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation um, through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Verse 16, all scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable, Greek word for profitable, profitable is ophelimos, which means it is useful for, it is useful for doctrine. That's number one. What is doctrine? Doctrine is teaching. So, scriptures presents teaching. But when teaching has been presented, three things must happen. Number two, it is profitable for reproof. That word reproof there doesn't mean to correct, because if it means to correct, then it would be redundant to then say for correction, right? Great. So the, the word reproof there, again, is the Greek word elenchos. And why, why do I keep quoting the Greek? It was written originally in the Greek. So, sometimes in translating... Um, the meaning of the word may be lost. And actually here, the meaning is not lost. The difference is the word as used in Old English in KJV is different from the way we use it today. There are words like that. Is that correct? So for instance, up until like two years ago, cap meant a piece of clothing you wear on your head. Suddenly now it means to lie. I'm not capping. <laughs> right? Great. So language evolves. So that word reproof meant a different thing when it was used and it was used there as evidence the word elenchos means evidence so when scripture is taught when doctrine is given it must do three things number one it must present evidence all right it presents evidence for what is taught number two it corrects whatever preconceived notion that the evidence has been set up to pull down are you with me are you with me so this is it. Imagine you have a wrong idea of something and you meet scripture. Scripture must do four things. 
The first thing scripture does is gives you information, doctrine. This is the right thing. The second thing it does is it gives you evidence for that information. All right, this is the right thing because of this. Now, when those two things have been done, the onus is on you to take correction. Are you with me? So the next thing there is for correction. And when correction has been taken, the next step is to instruct you on how to go about the right way. So instruction in righteousness. Are you with me? Good. So our responsibility as students of the Bible is therefore to open up our hearts in such a way that we are, number one, objective, and number two, receptive to the truth of God's word. Our instinct, when we hear new things from the Bible, or not necessarily new, but something that probably opposes what we think we believe or we've been holding on to, when we hear that new thing, our instinct to study should overcome our instinct to argue. Are you with me? Our instinct to study should overcome the instinct to argue. You see, because you didn't write the Bible. So you could be wrong. I, I used to be like that in 20, 2015, 2016. You know, I was just exposed to right teaching, right doctrine. 2014, you know, going down. And so somebody would say something, and it may not be what I'm used to. Then I would begin to argue and argue and argue. And one day, in the midst of the argument, I heard the Holy Ghost say, could you be wrong? He didn't say you are wrong. He just asked, could you be wrong? Now, it, 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 it would be <laughs> a very funny thing for me to answer the Holy Ghost and say no. Because I'm only human. I could be wrong. <laughs> Is that true? So I said, yeah. And then he said, good. If you could be wrong, then just keep quiet and listen to the other person. I'm not saying the other person is correct. But you owe it, the onus of objectivity and growth that is placed on you demands that you listen, at least listen. And find out, does he have a point? Does she have a point? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Um, I think I heard Bishop David Oedipo say it this way. He said, God gave us two ears and one mouth so that we will listen twice as much as we speak. Because the onus to listen, should, it should outweigh the impulse to speak. You know, some of us, the conversation hasn't even started. Verse, I don't agree with you. Sometimes in arguments like that, I'm talking to someone and then the person is going back, we're going back and forth. And at some point I say, stop. What am I saying? Tell me what I am saying. The truth is, many times the person gets what I'm saying wrong. So, as believers, we must be objective. It, it's called honor for God's word. That if there is a possibility that the way I've handled God's word has been inadequate or wrong, then I must entertain that possibility and examine myself. I must. I can finish preaching a sermon and you'll come and meet me and say, Pastor, what you said was not correct. I will give you a listening ear. 
Tell me why. <laughs> Explain to me what you think was wrong. If, if I genuinely think there's something to study in what you said, I would say, I'll go and study about it. And if I was wrong, trust me to come back and, you know, take back what I said and correct what I have said. Because number one, I didn't write the word of God. Number two, if you know anybody who is pompous about Bible knowledge just started. I'm telling you now. Anybody that is carrying shoulder like this because of Bible knowledge, they just started. Check it. Those that have gone far in Bible knowledge have this sense of humility. Because you would think you know something. Then you are studying another day and you're not like, wait. I've been teaching nonsense. That's the way the Bible is. There's so much to learn. Of course we can have, you know, you know, very, very determined knowledge on some matters. Jesus Christ is Lord. There's no way the Bible, there's no how you want to read the Bible that will unsay that. All right? It's determined. It's an absolute. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Jesus died for our sins. An absolute. He was our sacri um, substitutionary sacrifice. An absolute. These are absolutes. But there are so many things, especially around Christian conduct and instruction in righteousness, that are not absolutes. So how we objectively study the Bible and take into cognizance every um, statement that the Bible has to offer on that subject matter matters. Praise the Lord. I'm saying all of that because I want to touch on a sensitive conversation on prayer today. And I want to answer the question, why does God answer prayers? Why does God answer prayers? And in the same breath, why some of your prayers are not answered? Not your prayers as in just you. Some of our prayers, because me too, I'm there. And anybody that says that um, there is no such thing as an unanswered prayer is just playing smart. You're just being technical. Some people will say there's no such thing as an unanswered prayer. Every prayer has an answer. It's either yes, no, or wait. You are playing smart. I, I agree with you, but you are playing smart. Because... If the answer I was looking for was yes, and your answer is no, did you answer my <laughs> Technically, it's still an answer. But, so when I'm talking about unanswered prayers, I'm not saying God snubs your prayers. God doesn't snub anybody's prayers. He doesn't just say, what did he say? <laughs> right? But at the same time, why is it that many times we fast, we pray, we obey all the principles that... I'm at, is this, has this happened to you before? Or I'm talking to only myself. I mean, they told you that if you... Uh, many things you've been told. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. So if you have faith, you will first of all go and... Let's say you are looking for a car. You will go and buy steering cover and car cover and break oil and tell God that this is the proof of my faith. Now release my car. 
<laughs> and I'm going to do a teaching maybe next week on how to pray for things, you know, and receive things. So I'm not saying that you cannot have answers to prayers. And I'm not saying that it is wrong to ask for things. Okay. But there is a teaching on prayer that is done so frequently in the Bible that is ignored so frequently when we are teaching on prayer. Especially in Pentecostal circles. If you walk into a Pentecostal prayer session, you wouldn't think that God was God. You would think he was a slave. I want you to think about it. Like you walk into a regular prayer session. And it's like the way, in fact, in fact, the way we say it is, Father, do it, Lord. Do it. Do it. Do it. If you heard a man speak to his wife that way, do you know that you would call it a red flag? <laughs> so there is a way we pray that is wrong. And I want to start from a very, very, very controversial verse in scripture. And I think it's in the book of James. James chapter 4, verse 1 to 7. I mean, you walk into a prayer session and you hear somebody talking to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and you say, God, prove yourself in my life. <laughs> and so we begin to give God ultimatum. If you don't prove yourself in my life, I will not serve you. Right. Are we talking to God or are we talking to a houseboy? Because it's almost as if we think that serving God is the salary we give him for the work he does. So, walk because I will not pay your salary. See, God eats praise. If you don't praise God, you are starving God. God. We need to we need to revisit our understanding of the name God. I heard a man of God, he was preaching. He was talking about how Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. And then he said, Enoch was a technocrat in the spirits. Men who know how to manipulate God. For real, he said that. Some of you were in my house when, when you, saw, you saw about <laughs> men who know how to manipulate God that God no longer does what he wants but what they want now believe me the way you all shouted wow and ah the church was like yes sir <laughs> there were men in the church standing and jumping and then of course there's ever so slightly that woman who's just like And, and I'm just thinking, manipulate God. First of all, first of all, if you, if you have to manipulate God to do a good thing in your life, is he really good? Number one. Number two, do you have a relationship with somebody you have to manipulate to do anything for you? 
Now, he may have gone to the extreme, but make no mistake, he is just 10 kilometers away on the same road that many of us have been traveling on. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is that he's just further ahead. You are, you are still getting there. Because many times, we are taught these principles as ways to make sure that what we are asking for, we receive. Do you know that you don't even think that way about your parents? You don't. There is nothing that you, you think that, hmm, if I'm, if I'm always going to get a yes from my father, I must obey this principle. You just tell yourself that I will be a good child to him and ask. And if your father ever gets to the point where he says no, you will be upset about not receiving it. But you are not going to start questioning whether your father is your father. If you do that, you are still a child. Because that's what we used to do during when we were children. Am I, are they, am I even sure that these people are the ones that gave me? How am I sure I'm not adopted? Raise your hand if you ever question. Uh -huh. <laughs> but as you get older, you let go of that childish behavior. But interestingly, that's exactly how we communicate with God. If we don't receive what we think we need from God, we start to question his goodness, his fatherhood, and his love for us. So maybe we've been praying wrong for a long time. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your love. You know what? Give me this in NKJV. Or a newer translation. I don't have strength. <laughs> what is the source of the wars and the fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are at war within you? Num um, verse 2. You desire and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. You do not have because you do not ask. Say yes. So the principle is just ask. No. Verse 3. You ask and you don't receive because you ask how? So there is such a thing as asking wrongly. So that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. See. Okay. <laughs> oh Lord. You do realize that the whole of the Christian faith is hinged on these things. One, Christ came to die. Why did he come to die? For sin. Where did sin come from? Lost. Desires. So Christ came to die so that you will not be sold to the slavery of your desires. Why then do we think that God has become a technology to receive those desires? Now, not all your desires are bad. Amen? Amen? Not all your desires are bad. But can we be honest that some are bad? Can we be honest enough to admit that? That some are bad. Some are very terrible. But there are some that are subtly bad. Come on. Almost every graduate in Nigeria, myself inclusive, has had this daydream of meeting with their former cosmates. Then let's say there's a meeting that you're now driving with a white Benz. 
or G-Wax. Am I, am I lying? And then you drive it just so that you can show them that. Uh, I think the Yoruba is one city. They have come. have arrived. And so now we begin to pray. God, do it. God, do it. Do what? <laughs> says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly. Do you know that even your earthly parents know that it is a terrible thing to encourage your lust and covetousness by buying things for you just because somebody else has it? You know your earthly parents will tell you no. They don't mind buying it for you normally, but just because the reason why you want it is because Sister Nkechi wants it, they will tell you no. So that you will learn to be content. If you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your father in heaven? He says, you ask and don't receive because you ask wrongly so that you may spend it on your desires for pleasure. Verse 4. Adulteresses, Kai, Look at the term he used. He called it adultery. What is adultery? Adultery is being married to somebody and sleeping with somebody else. So, so, James is teaching us here that being in love with God and still cutting your fleshly desires is adultery. He says, adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God. It is hostility towards God. You are hostile towards God. There is no middle ground. It's either you are facing God or you are backing him and facing the world. Ask yourself. Hi. Listen, listen, hear me. I am not saying that it is not okay to ask for things that you need. But I'm saying that you must first of all check your heart to make sure that what is sponsoring your request is not greed or love for the world. Honestly, let me tell you something else. The church was less depressed when we were taught contentment. In this age where everything is on social media, everybody can see what everybody owns. I, I mean, I mean, how many of you find the question weird? How much do you earn? And then somebody just opens his mouth and publicizes it on, on social media. Like, isn't, isn't, isn't that private anymore? Some things shouldn't be known. Just maybe a few people that should know, should know. But all of these things sponsor greed. All of these things sponsor covetousness. The world is extremely greedy. It is. It is. I don't like to share personal stories. But I have seen firsthand what money does to people. Firsthand. People who didn't respect you before. You buy a certain car. Now suddenly you are their boss. Anything you say goes. Why? And we laugh. But there's a statement that Omo, since 2017 when I heard the statement, it has, it has changed the way I think. It said, don't condemn 
anybody who fell for a temptation that you don't yet have the capacity to fall for. It says, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility towards God? So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. This is why we ask amiss. We ask wrongly. Because many times we are asking to become the world's friend. Are you with me? Next verse. Or do you think it's without reason that the scriptures say that the spirit um, that the spirit he has caused us to live in um, he has caused us to live in yearns jealously. The spirit that he has caused us to live in yearns jealously. Um, he's quoting that place where the Bible says that God is a jealous God, and that scripture doesn't mean that um, God sees what you have and He wants it. No, there's this sense of He's an, he's an overprotective God. It's either you are for me or you are not for me. There is no middle ground. Are you with me? Next verse. But he gives greater grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, <laughs> You've, you've read the scripture before, right? You've seen it before. Or you've heard it before, right? When the Bible said God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble, many times we think that the proud that the Bible was talking about here is somebody who goes about his braggadocious. He likes to brag about the things that he has. Is that correct? But context must define the words. Is that right? Now. Somebody who comes to say, do you know how much my wristwatch is? Do you know how much my hair is? Do you know how much my shirt is? That person is proud too. But that's not, in context, that's not who James was talking about. In context, James was talking about those who are friendly with the world and are so, in, in the same time, um, you know, against God because of their friendship with the world. And he says, for those people, God will resist. He gives greater grace. What is he giving grace to do? He's giving grace to stay in relationship and in focus with him and to turn your back against the world. But the one who turns his back against him and faces the world, he calls that person proud and says, God resists him. So one reason why many prayers are not answered is you. And see, let me teach you something. You can't outsmart God, though. God knows you better than yourself. Are you with me? God knows you better than yourself. Say, God, try me. Just try, try me, try me, if I will not shock you. Bless me with one million and see what I will do for your kingdom. And God knows that it's not true. 
God knows because he sees your thoughts, your intents, your heart. He sees all of it. And so many times, if you check it well, the believer who is worldly, the Lord will consistently resist. Many of the prayers you are praying, it will look like every other person around you is moving forward, but you are not. Sometimes it is the devil that is attacking you. I agree. Sometimes you are the one attacking yourself. Because God resists the proud. Are you with me? I've often said this. You know what? I'll, I'll say it later. But he gives grace to the humble. Verse 7, I think this is the last verse. It says, therefore, read the next statement together. Everybody wants to go, submit to God. Where is the room for submission in your prayers? Listen, I am not teaching you how to pray and have a yes every time. Let me tell you now, nobody can. Nobody does. Nobody gets yes every time they pray. Paul didn't. You won't. <laughs> I don't. Nobody does. Anybody that makes you think that anytime I say God do it, he does it. He's lying to you. There are many things that God will not do. Some he won't do because it is opposed to his nature. Some he won't do because there are systems and structures to make sure that those things happen even without his consent. And some he won't do because in doing it, he would sponsor bad behavior in you. Listen. What would you call or what would you say about a parent that gives their child everything the child asks for? And does not punish the child for wrongdoing. Does not withhold anything from the child. Even when it will destroy the child. What will you say about that parent? You will say the parent is irresponsible. You will say the parent is spoiling the child. Is that correct? Why do we expect God to do the same for us? Are we on the same page, church? This thing I'm teaching, many of you don't want to hear it. But you will in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Why? Why do we expect that from God if we don't even expect it from people? Why? Some of us have bad habits. All of us do. But there's a specific bad habit I want to reference. Even me, I have this one. Where if there's money in your hand, suddenly you start thinking of things you can spend the money on. Raise your hand if you are like that. My hand is up. That when there was no money, you were humble. You were humble. Let's go and see a movie. No. Why don't we just wait? There's no point. It will soon come to meet you. Then somebody should now wire you money. You will not be the one suggesting. It has been long since we saw a movie. Alpha, let's go abuse on me. Now, if you are that way... There's something that I'm sure you've done at once in at one point in your life. You realized the foolishness in your ways, like I have many times, and then you cut the money when it enters into your hand and send it to somebody, 
and you tell the person, see, even if I'm dying, don't give me this money. Is that correct? Because we believe that that person in withholding it from us is helping us. Why don't we believe the same about God? Why don't we believe the same about God? <laughs> God. If you being evil know how to give good gifts, how much more your father in heaven? <laughs> Praise the Lord. John chapter 15, verse 7. I want, to, I want to take my time to speak on scriptures that people have usually used to teach that just ask, that don't worry. Your father loves you. Anything you ask for, he will give you. That is not love. That is enable, like enabling. The person is enabling bad behavior. That's not the definition of love. Sometimes love withholds. And when love withholds, it is still love. Is it true? I used to have a roommate who would come back from class. This young man is on his laptop playing video games. We are going to class. You see, I'm coming, I'm coming. He's playing video games. One day, we were four in the room. One day, the remaining of us, three of us, he seized his laptop and his gamepad and we hid it. He came back. Where is my gamepad? Where is my gamepad? We told him, say, let's not lie to you so that you know about attack. See your laptop, take. We have deleted your game. Mm -hmm. Read your books. <laughs> they sent you to school to read your books. Read your books. We were not being nice. <laughs> but we were being good to him. Is that true? Sometimes your good friends will call you and tell you, you see this girl that you are talking to? You see this boy that you are talking to? Let me not lie to you. They are not it for you. Step away. It's only a foolish person that will not start saying you are a hater. You are a hater. You don't, especially if the person has a track record of being in your corner and loving you. You know, say this one time that I'm happy. You are against me. It's, it's in times of true happiness. that we, You know those silly quotes that we come up with that don't make any sense. Oh, guys, the girl good for you or not? Go away. There is no parent that loves their child that gives their child everything the child wants. None. Even you, your parents love you. They didn't give you everything. In fact, we are partially grateful because they didn't. Yeah. You finished, you finished uh, secondary school. All you knew was Hannah Montana and High School Musical, for those of you that are in my generation. And so that's what you thought you wanted your life to look like. So when your parents decided they want to send you to Covenant University, where you can't use phone, or you, can't, you swore for them. Because the image you had about uni was party, party. Imagine if they sponsored that behavior. Like with the first class you came out with, look at where you are now. Imagine if you know now go and have the first class at all. By saying, look, I'm not saying that you are in a bad place. So. But can we all agree that we can be in better places? Oh. Like, do you ever look back at a time 
When somebody was so mean to you, you could have sworn that they were being wicked to you, but later you just appreciate it. Ah, thank you. I, did, I really didn't have sense at that time. Praise the Lord. John chapter 15. Everybody read John 15, 7 together, one to go. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want. See, pastor, what do you have to say about that? He said, ask whatever. <laughs> First of all, it is dubious to take scriptures out of context. Do you hear what I'm saying? A good Bible student will see this and be suspicious. <laughs> That's when you know you are doing well as a Bible student. When you read something like this, and you, and you now your first thought is, it cannot be whatever. <laughs> let's let's see what this whatever because. It, it truly cannot be. Hey, <laughs> God. Do you know the reason why whenever somebody says it can be whatever, you are like, no, no, but it can be whatever. Because your hearts are pure. And you assume every other person beside you thinks like you. But you know when the Bible said the heart of man is desperately wicked? There are some people that are the embodiment of that statement. If it is true that if you ask whatever, it will be done for you. Ha ha ha. Hey, God. Hey, God. <laughs> People are wicked, though. Let me tell you now the heart of man is desperately wicked. God cannot be careless enough to sponsor that kind of wickedness with this statement. Because if. Ah, ah, Jesus Christ. In fact, sometimes has your friend's friend or somebody that is around you, maybe your roommate, said something and you heard it, you laughed. But in your heart, you were like, ha. Ah. And you never said anything to the person, but you just noted that be careful about this person because ha. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> So as a good Bible student, when you see whatever, you now say, wait, 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 wait. Is there a context to this whatever? Or is it whatever in any context? Because you now, when we said whatever, the first thing you said thinking about is, I want my life to be better, have a good job, have a nice house, live with my wife, just decent things. There are people that their own whatever is all the women in the world should bow before my feet. I should be able to pick anyone at random. Listen, you shout, but there are people who think like that. You know, there's a way social media reveals the madness in some people's hearts. <laughs> verse 1. Everybody read verse 1 together once ago. I am the true vine, and my father is the vineyard keeper. Verse 2, don't read with me now. It says, every branch in me that does not produce fruit, he removes and he prunes every branch that produces fruit so that it will produce more fruit. I think this is explanatory enough, right? Great. Verse 3, he says, you are already clean because of the words I have spoken to you. 
Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, so neither can you unless you remain in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Verse 6, if anyone does not remain in me, he is thrown aside like a branch and he withers. They gather them, throw them into the fire and they are burned. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want. And it shall be done for you. Let me ask you a question. In context, what do you mean or what do you think ask whatever you want would be referring to? Considering that he has been speaking about fruitfulness. So asking whatever you want here would be towards fruitful. Am I correct? It would be towards fruitfulness. So this doesn't mean that you should get up and start asking God for a Bentley when you don't have a job. Because he said, ask whatever you want and it will be done for you. In fact, verse 8, look at verse 8. He says, my father is glorified by this. Read together, everybody wants to go. So ask whatever you need would make reference to producing much fruit. Amen. Amen. Even, even in real life, eh? Whenever, when somebody tells you to ask for anything, you, you know there's context, right? Eh? Ask for anything, you know, say, I want the head of my enemies on the platter. See, I cannot do that for you. <laughs> there's context. Praise the Lord. I'll read one more portion of scripture, then I'll go into, then I'll move forward a little bit. Just wrap the teaching up. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. A man of God that I respect so much has said this. This is the secret to kingdom prosperity. And while I respect him, I respectfully disagree with what he's saying. Here's why. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. So if you want all things to be provided for you, seek first the kingdom of God. Now here's the dilemma. If I'm seeking first the kingdom of God so that all things will be provided for me. Then which am I truly seeking first? The kingdom of God or the all things that I'm looking for? Let's start. Let's read this verse in context so you can understand where it is coming from. 24. 624. 2 Samuel 4. One, how, how did we get here? How did we get here, people of God? All right. Do you know that this verse of scripture... Is the context for Siki first. We know this one, ba. No man can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and mammon. This verse of scripture is what led to Siki first. First of all, that should just change the way you think about Matthew 6.33. Because obviously, Jesus was calling us away 
from slavery to worldly things. Amen. Amen. All right. So he says, no one can be a slave of two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of God and of what? And of what? He says, this is why I tell you, don't worry about your life. So hold on, hold on, hold on. Jesus begins to describe what slavery to money looks like. Are you with me? And Jesus didn't describe slavery. You know when we think slavery to money, we're thinking of um, Smigo in Lord of the Rings. How many of you have seen Lord of the Rings? My precious. How he runs after that ring and can kill himself for that ring. We think, listen, again, that is the extreme end of what slavery to money looks like. We think of a person who is ready to throw friends under the bus, kill anybody, sacrifice their mother for money. That's the extreme end of slavery to money. This is where it begins. This is why I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is not saying that you should be hungry or you should just starve. Or just throw caution to the wind. But Jesus is saying, the word, the word worry there, the way KJV translates it is, take no thought. Which means, do not be fixated on. That is so overly fixated on, what am I eating tomorrow and next tomorrow? And overly fixated on your comfort. That you begin to lose the true meaning of life. Which, interestingly, is where many of us are right now. The truth is this, <laughs> many of us are doing much better financial, or, or that's bad English. Many of us are doing so well that it makes no sense for us to be worried the way we are worried. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? And I'm not even talking about those of you who earn millions or hundreds of thousands I'm talking about those of you who you can eat once a day. All right? You can. You are okay. Amen? Amen. You are okay. But now some of you laugh because. <laughs> yes, yes, I'm serious. I'm very serious. Listen, listen. I'm very serious. You are okay. You have. Um, laugh. But you are okay. You are, you are bet at this stage of your life. You are doing well enough to just thank God for the food you've received, and focus on other things. If you keep, because this is how people get into trouble. Listen, love for money is a learned behavior. Love for material things is a learned behavior. And it doesn't start when you now have the money. And it won't go away when you have the money. Come on. Am, am I saying the truth? We all know that uncle or auntie or brother or sister that has so much, but they are so stingy, not just to everybody else, but to themselves. They can be like in the hospital. And still refuse to release their own money. 
Do you know what you are telling me? You love that money more than you love yourself. Where you don't get it. The love for money is incentivized by the worry of a better tomorrow. That's what in, that's the incentive to keep going after money. Are you with me? Listen, what I'm saying, many of you won't like to hear, but please, I beg you, just hear it. It will change your life. It will change your life. There is, listen, a better tomorrow does not come by chasing after it. Let me tell you. Because even when you finally have all the money, it does not guarantee that tomorrow will be better than today. It just guarantees that you have more money. <laughs> Are you happy? Do you have joy in your life? Can you sit back and say, I'm doing okay, I'm fine. Even with the money you have. Have you ever asked yourself, if I have all the money that I want, what next? And before you think I'm talking like this because I have money, I really do. I don't have that much. <laughs> I don't have that much. I'm not lying to you. <laughs> what next? Take no thought. That's what Jesus teaches. Take no thought. All this, um, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to uh, calm down. Am I saying you shouldn't have ambition? No, no, no. Have ambition. Am I saying you shouldn't have plans for tomorrow? No, have those plans. The problem now is when you are so fixated on what I will eat, where I will sleep, what I will that you now begin to lose meaning for life. And listen, it doesn't happen all at once. That's why it is, it is so dangerous. Many of us don't understand how the devil's temptations work. The devil's temptations are not sudden or instant. They grow. Do you understand? They grow. If, if, if you have an addiction... If you have an addiction, let's say you are struggling with an addiction to substances or um, pornography or masturbation. If you would recall the early usage of those things, you still had control. What happened was that slowly you gave up control over those things until one day you couldn't even stop yourself if you wanted to. Nobody gets addicted on the first try. The devil is too smart to do that. I'm telling you the truth. It takes time. So when it comes to this worry thing, love for money, nobody starts loving money from the get-go. It takes time. And let me tell you, examine your heart. You will know that the love for money is in your heart. If when I'm talking right now, there is this opposition in your heart, you know I'm saying the truth. But you don't want to listen to what I'm saying. It's money. Money is controlling you. Stop now. Change now. If you hear the word of God, harden not your heart. Because this is why many people consistently question God. God, why? God, why? Like, do you have an idea of what the Christian um, faith, the history of the Christian faith is? At your worst today, 
you live better than many of the early church fathers. Do you know? That is when Sapa has done you shaggy. You are still living better than many of Paul, 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 the apostle, Peter. These people didn't have money. They weren't rich men. Paul was a trained lawyer. So for all intents and purposes, he could be a rich person. If your theology on prayer has not been affected by your understanding that it's not, prayer is not about the material things that you can get. It is first about establishing a dominion of God in your heart above every other thing. In fact, when prayer has done its work well, you will be willing to let go of material things. That's why many of us struggle with these things. God cannot ask you to give your last money to somebody else. You just, okay, this brother doesn't have money to go home. This is your last money. You, I know you have plans for it, but give it to him. He needs it. God can't ask you because you can't see beyond the fact that if I don't save this money, I, can't, I, won't, I won't be taken care of tomorrow. Jesus says, do not worry about your life. It would be nice if I was the one that said it. It's not me that said it. It's Jesus. And so because Jesus said it, all our lives are called to question by this statement. Are you with me? He says, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Verse Verse 26, he says, look at the birds of the sky. Jesus is painting a picture. He says, they don't sow or reap. Oh, Lord God. They don't do business. They're not farmers. They don't have any principle of supply or demand. He says, they don't gather into bands. Yet your heavenly father feeds them. Listen. Jesus is showing us something important here. Something that I've, I've been wanting to say for a while now. In prayer, more than all your principles on faith, there is one key attribute that must be in place and it is trust. If trust does not drive prayer, prayer becomes manipulation. If trust is not driving prayer, Prayer becomes manipulation. Honestly, when, when you begin to figure this thing out, you realize that... <laughs> Do you know what is interesting? There are many unbelievers that have figured this out. Many, many. You go to many of these places where they just tell you, you know what? Only today is promised. Live for today. Whilst living your life in a way that if you go today, it will matter. Many of us don't know that there are more important... Nobody, nobody will remember you because you had so much money. Do you know? In Anambra, I think it was in Anambra, in the early 90s, there was a guy they called Ezego. Many of, many of us are too young to really know his story. But this guy had a lot of money. 
Then he died mysteriously going home for Christmas. Raise your hand if you've ever heard about Izego before. Exactly my point. Look around you. <laughs> Nobody remembered him for all the money he had. Nobody. There's a mindset that we must have towards material things as Christians that we mustn't let those material things have us. When, when you think about this, you will now understand why this prayer, God have mercy, is a very powerful prayer. Because it's very easy to let it have us. Listen, I know the worry of not having for tomorrow. I'm a married man now. I have a wife to feed. I know the worry of not having for tomorrow. I know what it means to be scared that there's no food in the house for tomorrow. I know what it means. It's very easy to give in to fear and to give in to the temptation to be so concerned about money, to be so concerned about material things. But I told you, the love for money is a trained response. So in the same way, um, overcoming that love for money will be trained at the same time. It will be trained. You must train it. Jesus says, take no thought. The birds of the air, they don't sow or reap, but your father feeds them. So there is a mindset we must have. My tomorrow is not promised because of the savings I have today. My tomorrow is promised because of my father that is in heaven. So if I lose everything today, I still have my father. Are you with me? That's why I was telling you, if you eat once a day, you are fine. Just thank God and move on. Amen. Amen. Many of us, we get so fixated on how is it that I've eaten only once today. Let me tell you a personal experience. January this year, we declared 21 days prayer and fasting. Amen. Amen. And when we declared that prayer and fasting, when we got home, my wife and I celebrated. You know why we celebrated? Because now we have a legitimate reason to eat only once in a day. Because in all sincerity, we didn't have enough to eat more than once a day. And I'm not telling you this so that you give me money. We're doing better now. Alright? Sometimes you are down, sometimes you are up. It's life. Amen? Amen. Another time, some members of the church came to my house. I entertain church members in my house a lot. So some members came to my house. Close people we were all. And so we wanted to celebrate our anniversary. And there was no food in the house at the time. This was February 22nd. And so we now did this thing where we scraped all our accounts together to buy food to cook and eat. And I'm not telling you this so you will pity or so. Trust me, we have enough now. Amen? It's just sometimes you are down, sometimes you are up. Amen? It happens. But what, imagine if, imagine if, and, and this is why a lot of pastors have gotten into the era of Balaam. When you, when you go through a situation like that, instead of you to thank God that at least we saw food to eat, your response is not thanking God for the one meal you saw to eat. Your response is, how can I be struggling to look for food to eat. And so you begin to think of ways 
to make more money. And then if you have a microphone and you look at it, it doesn't help that some church members are doing better than you. So you come to church Sunday morning, you've not eaten, you don't know where your meal that day is going to come from. And somebody comes up to give a testimony of how he or she just got a job that pays them 800000 And so the devil starts to whisper in your head, you must collect that money from them somehow. I'm telling you exactly how temptation works. For this, in this case, it's on the pulpit. But in your life, it's the same thing. He says, aren't, they worth more, aren't you worth more than the birds of the air? Verse 27. Can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? This question is not about height. <laughs> Can you add a day, a second to your lifespan by worrying? Can you? Can The tomorrow that you are trying to make better, is it promised to you? James said that life is like a mist. We may be here today, tomorrow we are not. The tomorrow you are so worried about, is it promised to you? He says, can any of you add a single cubit to his height by worrying? Verse 28. And why do you worry about clothes? Learn how the wild flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Verse 29. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Verse 30. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field. This is how prayer, this is, this statement. Look at this statement. This is where prayer starts. If God clothes the grass of the field which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O ye of little faith? So, Jesus was teaching that true faith for material things is not in saying, Father, I want this. Father, I want this. True faith for material things is if God can clothe the lilies, then he will clothe me too. So, Instead of focusing so much with all my energy on where to get the next meal from or where to get the next clothes from, I will just look to God. While I work hard, you know, I'm working and I'm giving myself. But if I don't have a job yet, I can still trust God to provide for me. Are you with me? Let me tell you. That's how we run this church. You can ask the pastorate. Many times, the rent is not complete yet. We just trust God. That if God, if God asked us to do it, he will supply for it. Amen. Amen. He says, if that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you? You of little faith. Verse 31. He says, so don't worry saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? Um, for the idolaters, kai, kai. look at the word he used. Uh, what did he call them? He says, they eagerly seek all these things. Why are they idolaters? Because they eagerly seek these things. He likens it to idolatry. Praise the Lord. It's a terrible thing, therefore, when our prayers are now sponsoring idolatry. Do you know how ridiculous you sound when because of a car or because of a contract to say, God, prove yourself to be God in my life. God sent his son to die for you. 
saved you from sin and is a contract that nullifies his impact in your life, we must do better in prayers. He says, for idolaters eagerly seek these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Therefore, if you are not fixing your mind on all these things, what should you fix your mind on? Verse 33, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Just focus on God, focus on the things of God, focus on loving God, focus on serving God. Just keep your mind there, trusting that God is able to take care of your needs. Do you know why we don't really like this statement? Because we have wasteful, a wasteful mentality. I remember, I remember in 2016, I promise I'm wrapping up my sermon now. I remember in 2016, I was talking to a young man. And the young man was saying that in a couple of years from now, I will be so rich that as I'm walking on the road, money will be dropping from my pocket. And I said, no, no, no. You are not rich. You are just wasteful. Now, this was positive confession that he was making. I will be so rich as I'm walking. Hey, God. If you know how dangerous money is, you will beg God that God, just give it to me small, small. The one I can handle per time. How many of you have seen people change into monsters? Because of money. Raise your hand if you have. Many people do. And, and the funny thing is, they would have sworn that they wouldn't change. Many of us don't like this statement because when God said he will provide these things for us, we know that he will probably just provide food that we need. But what we want is not just food we need. We need food to show off. That I have food. Is it food? I have plenty. But let me ask you today. Which, which would you rather have? That you sweat and toil endlessly chasing after the bag to put food on your table every day? Or that you have an assurance from God? That I've got you. Don't worry. Just focus. I've got you. I will feed you. Which would you rather have? And all these things will be provided for you. Finally, verse 34. It says, verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about... Everybody read this together once you go. Therefore... Continue. Uh -huh. Each day has enough trouble of his day. You know it's Jesus that is talking. <laughs> it wasn't um, Bob Marley or Lucky Dubé or some, you know, wise guy dropping quotes. No, 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 no. no. It, it, it was Jesus. He, he was teaching you. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow should worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. For some of you, this is liberating. It's, it's just, ah, okay. Or I can rest. Some of you are moving too fast. Too, where do you see yourself five years from now? I, I don't know. I, I'm okay being here today. 
Okay, that's fine. I'm fine being here. I'm not saying you shouldn't have ambition. Don't let ambition have you. Someone asked me, where do you see yourself five years from now? He asked me this question in 2017, which is interesting because five years from now has passed. Where do you see yourself five years from now? And I said, happily married. Say, you're not ambitious enough. I said, do you know what it takes to be happily married? (laughs) Think it's beans to be happily married. Say you're not ambitious enough. Don't you want to be the CEO of? So he's not a CEO of anything now. (laughs) But I'm happily married. Take no thoughts. Take no thoughts. Come, slow down. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Slow down. Slow down. Slow down. You're moving too fast. Even when you are praying. This is why your prayers, even you, when you finish the prayer, you, you hope that God listened. We hope that he heard us. Because we know that, why don't you slow down? So it's better to say, Father, I know that your eyes are on me. Because your eyes are on the sparrow. And I'm worth more than them. I know your eyes are on me. I trust you to take care of me. Do, do you hear what I'm saying? And that trust, that trust won't go away when there looks, it looks like there's a pothole on the way. I, I still trust you. I still trust you. Many of us, uh, we like that song, Jaira. I'll never be loved, uh, more loved than I am. But there's a part that says, I will trust you in the middle of the storm. When I don't know where to go, I'll still trust you. That's the Christian behavior. That's how it should be. We shouldn't get to a rough patch and start to say, God, where are you? If he was there, Kai. Listen, if he was there beside the still waters, he would be there in the valley of the shadow of death. So trust him. Are you with me? Trust God. Let's trust. Sponsor your prayers. Pray from a place of trust. God, I don't know what is happening, but I trust you. I trust you to take me through this. Listen, many of us think that we know exactly how to pray about the situation. If you knew how complicated the matter was, you would just let go and let God. Praise the Lord. Pray the language of the Spirit, everyone. Pray the language of the Spirit, everyone. Come on, pray the language of the Spirit. Stay. Pray the language of the Spirit, everyone. Come on, come on, come on, come on. For some of you, there needs to be a a heart change that God, I trust you. I trust you. I choose to trust you. It may not make sense right now where I am with what I'm going through, but I do trust you. I do trust you. I do trust you. 
I do trust you. I do trust you. I do trust you. I do trust you. I may I may not understand the process, but I trust you. I trust your love for me. I trust your hand over my life. Open your mouth and pray, brothers and sisters. Pray. I repent. I repent from a prayer that does not have trust back in it. I repent from my attempts to manipulate you to do things for me. I repent from all of that and I just choose instead to trust you. I repent from worrying about my future, worrying about tomorrow, always living in anxiety and worry. I repent from all of that. Instead, I look to you and I trust that you are able, able to take me to that expected end. Able. I trust you. I trust you, Jesus. You have 30 seconds to pray. Make it count. Christ alone. Cornerstone. Keep praying. Weak made strong. In the Savior's love. Through the storm. He is Lord. Lord of all. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all of the ground is sinking sand, all of the ground is sinking sand. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood, my righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking. You know the Bible says, follow those who through faith and patience obtained the promises. Patience is built on trust. We can be patient because we trust. Hallelujah. Father, we choose to trust you. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Please, if you hear the word of the Lord today, harden not your heart. 
let go of money, let go of the fear of tomorrow, let go of all of those things. Let go of all of them. You'll be better off. Amen. You'll be better off. Let me tell you something. You are not where you are today because you carefully calculated yesterday. Any entrepreneur that wakes up and tells you that your future is what you make of it has denied one irrefutable fact. The race is not to the swift. Neither is the battle to the strong. He says, but time and chance happens to all of them. There is the, the chance factor. There is the time factor. Are you with me? The fact that it, it, it won't matter how much work I put in. I'm, I, I just need some time to see results. So just trust God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Many people who are successful will tell you that their big break came when they were not expecting it. They were least prepared, many of them, for the big break when it finally came. They lobbied and lobbied and lobbied and nothing worked. They were just in the right place at the right time. Do you know how complicated and complex that is? To be in the right place at the right time. Can you, can you really influence that? Do you know where the right place is? That's why we trust God. If many of us had this mindset of trusting God, instead of worrying about tomorrow, we would see the tomorrow we are worrying about more. Because we don't trust God. When God gives instructions, simple instructions, that can take us to where he wants us to be. We don't obey, thinking we have a better way. You don't. You don't have a better way. Let me tell you now. That job that looks juicy is not necessarily the next step for you. I've seen companies, I, I, I heard of a company that hired a guy. They promised him, I think, about 800000 in salaries every month. Good salary structure. Paid him the first month, second month, folded the third. Folded the third. The funny story is he had the option to go somewhere else. God told him to take the other place. He said no. How do you want to go back to the other company and say, hi guys, are you guys still hiring? Because I'm, I'm available now. Nobody wants to be second choice. It's because we think too much. But which one of you can add a qubit to your stature by thinking? So I've calculated it well. If I do this, 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 I will live to be XYZ number of years. In this earth that we are in. <laughs> hey God. Let me tell you a parable. There were two, two men running for the highest position in the land. One didn't even think he had a chance. The other one fought tooth and nail, spent all the money he had. Finally, fought and got it by crook or by hook. And then suddenly, everybody that used to be docile and asleep and used to look away when people are rigging things, decided to wake up and investigate. How would he have known that this would be the one time that would happen? How? Listen, there is an amount of uncertainty to life that we must get used to and just trust God. How, how would he have known that now that it is his turn, people have been doing it for years, since 1960. 
Then he reached his turn in 2023. And then Nigeria's to wake up. Seller. <laughs> if you know how uncertain life is, eh? <laughs> you realize that it's futile to be worried about tomorrow. It's futile. It's futile. Praise Jesus. Were you blessed in today's service? All right, please package your offerings. Let's wrap service up. Thank you for listening. For more, head over to circlechurchglobal.org or visit any of the church campus addresses on the website. God bless you.